Today, we're going to talk about an activity that I never would have thought of as threatening. I think of it as healthy and good for you, good for your mind, body, and soul. I envy everyone who engages in this activity, but I would never engage in it myself. Today, I'm going to talk about the dangers people face while jogging. Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster, because we just got our first Patreon member. I feel so honored that anyone out there feels my show is good enough to join my Patreon, and I'm so excited to do an extra episode this upcoming Wednesday, and right now, they may be the only ones to hear it, but I mean, it gives me hope that possibly soon, maybe I'll get a couple other members and multiple people will hear it. So I want to give a big shout out to Jersey to Carolina for being my first Patreon member. Thank you so much. Today's episode is all about the threats that runners face. If you're a runner, send me your story. I feel like every runner has to at least have one. Runners World surveyed women runners and found that 60% of women have been targets of harassment while running. According to their article, 25% reported being regularly subjected to unwanted sexual advances, and 6% said that it had been to the point where they actually feared for their lives. In a survey conducted of this 60% that said that they had been targets of harassment while running, 26% reported that someone had followed them. 11% said that someone had exposed themselves to them. And another 11% had reported unwanted physical contact. I have a good friend who is a runner, and so I contacted her and I asked her how she felt on the subject. She told me that her greatest threat while taking a run is other people. She once had a car slow down near her while she was in a secluded area. She said all the houses that were around her were just too far for her to run to. The car got super close to her and was coming to a stop when another car just happened to turn down the road. And when that other car turned down the road, this car that was stalking her sped off. She now only runs with her firearm. Runners, if you're out there, email coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. I want to know your story. There were three separate incidences in 2016 that really started bringing awareness to this issue. On July 30th, 2016, Alexandra, known as Allie Brueger, was taking her normal everyday 10-mile run near Holly, Michigan, when she was attacked. Her murderer shot her in the back with a shotgun. She was only 31 years old. Her attacker fired at her four, possibly five times, only hitting her once, 
But once was enough, and now Allie's family is still looking for answers. If you have any information regarding the brutal murder of Allie Brueger, please call 1-855-MICHTIP. 1-855-MICHTIP. A man in a nearby home had heard the commotion, but didn't see the attacker. He did call 911 and did everything he could to save Allie. But unfortunately, Allie passed away on the way to the hospital regardless. About a week later, in early August of 2016, Karina Vitreno was running in Spring Creek Park in Queens, New York. Her father would express concerns about her running alone, but her normal running partner had a back injury and Karina went running anyway. She was only a block away from her home when she was sexually assaulted and murdered. When she didn't respond to calls and texts like normal, her father notified the police chief, whom he knew. They launched a search immediately. And horribly, her father was the one to find her. And it was clear that she had been sexually assaulted. Her clothes were left in a way that exposed her. And she had been strangled so hard that there was a handprint on her neck. They found DNA all over her. And six months later, they were able to arrest and convict Channel Lewis of her murder. She was only 30 years old. Just a few weeks later, we are still talking about August of 2016. Vanessa Marcotte was taking a run down a rural road in Princeton, Massachusetts. Her family waited an hour or two for her return, but when she didn't, they contacted police who also launched a search right away. They located her body on a trail off the road. Vanessa had been sexually assaulted and strangled. She had crushing injuries on her throat and her nose was broken. They never found her clothing. It's believed the killer may have taken it with him. She had burns on her face, feet, and hands. They were able to recover DNA. And in 2017, Angelo Colin Ortez was arrested. He not only provided a DNA match, but his vehicle was seen near where the murder occurred. Unfortunately, he claimed that he did not give his DNA voluntarily. He speaks Spanish, and police used an officer that, from my understanding, doesn't speak Spanish fluently, like he's not an interpreter, but he's still someone who often communicates with Spanish-speaking persons. I looked into it a bit, and my opinion is that the form very clearly stated he was voluntarily giving him his DNA. And this isn't the first time that Angelo has contested DNA that he's voluntarily given to the police. But this trial is still ongoing, and I couldn't find an answer to whether the judge allowed the DNA evidence into the trial or not. But regardless, Karina was only 27 years old, and I hope that her father gets justice, as I hope that all the victims of all the families in this episode and all victims everywhere do. So we all know that DNA evidence doesn't come back right away. It usually takes police a while to solve a crime. Last night, I watched an episode of 
one of them crime shows. I don't even remember which one it was. And they literally walked into the home and like saw a magazine and they were like, oh, she must have been buying a car. She must have gone on a test drive. Oh, that's definitely how somebody lured her into their grasp. So instant. But it really takes a while. And in the time that police were waiting for the DNA to come back in the two of these three cases that were solved, they actually thought that they possibly had a serial killer on their hands. Because even though these murders occurred in different states, that's three murders in less than six weeks, just why women are running. I mean, they were all so similar. But what we really learned here is that women, and as we'll find out later, men too, are just in danger while jogging. Runners tend to run in areas like less frequented by people. They're usually alone and there's evil people everywhere looking specifically for an opportunity to hurt, rape, and kill someone. And since these people are just walking around looking normal, you know, as if they're like the rest of us, no one sees it coming. On May 8th, 2021, three men attacked a woman running in Castle Park in Colchester, England. She survived, thank God, but not without a large amount of bruises just covering basically her entire body. One of the men actually just sat on her while the other two smashed her head into the ground. Looking at pictures of her, which I will note that link in the show notes, her whole arm is just a huge bruise. And I mean, that's not the only part of her body that's bruised. She's just covered. But she fought back and she was strong. And she was able to get them off of her. And then she ran. In an article named Female Runner Violently Attacked in Colchester, they quoted Mark Gocher as saying, Quote, there is a problem in our society. We need to tackle the fact that there is a portion of the male population in our society who deem it acceptable to intimidate or physically harm women like this. It is not the responsibility of women to change their behavior. End quote. And when speaking in regards to this particular issue, he's so right. These women are simply running outdoors. And they deserve to be able to do that without fearing for their lives. But how can you solve a problem that you can't see, you can't predict, and you can't charge somebody for something they haven't done yet? On May 6th, 2021, a woman was jogging in the Bicentennial Park Trail in Portage, Michigan, and pushed to the ground. Her attacker was wielding a knife, but she was able to fight him off. They have a video of her attacker, but he's wearing a hoodie and you know how these videos can often be. You really can't see him. I feel like this could be a video of so many people that I know and they're still looking for him. And on May 6th, 2021, a jogger was attacked on Southwest 92nd Avenue in a Miami-Dade community. Even though he pushed her to the ground, she was able to fight him off. She wasn't injured. They've released a sketch of the suspect, but they are also still looking for him. He attacked her in the middle of the day. 
On August 9th, 2021, a woman was attacked in Maumel, Arkansas. Excuse my pronunciation. He threw a rock at the back of her head and then jumped on her. She fought him off, but luckily she's okay as well. And I hate that I just said luckily. This woman was hit in the back of the head with a rock and was attacked. But, you know, we say luckily because the attacker didn't, you know, complete his actions. You know, he didn't seriously injure her. But none of these women are lucky. They're only lucky when we compare them to women like Catherine Janess, who would never return home. Not from running, but possibly a more dangerous pastime. She was walking. You would have thought that she would have been safe because she was walking her dog near 10th Street and Piedmont Avenue in Atlanta. It was July 27, 2021, and she often walked her dog while listening to podcasts, and she felt safe. She was one of us, my podcast buddies. Catherine's partner, Emma Clark, used her location feature on her iPhone to find Janess. And heartbreakingly, she found her with multiple stab wounds. She not only had to endure the sight of her partner's disfigured body, but her attacker had murdered her dog as well. And they are still looking for the monster. There is currently a $10,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest and conviction. Please call Crime Stoppers at 404 577 8477. As I was researching this, I was thinking it's hard to understand the motive in some of these situations. I would think it's usually rape, but many of these women were not raped. They were simply just harmed. It seems like battery, just violence in itself, may be the motivation for some of these attacks. But then I read some information from an article called Through a Rapist's Eyes. I found it on www.ripleycounty.com, and I'm going to list some information from there. And I'm also going to list this first on my show notes so that you can check this out and read it for yourself. What this is, is they interviewed rapists and date rapists in prison to get some information about what they look for in a potential victim. Number one on the list is hairstyle. They look for a hairstyle that is easy to grab and pull, like a ponytail, bun, or braid. I mean, just women with long hair in general. So they're basically looking for something that they can pull, and apparently women with very short hair are a lot safer. Number two is clothing. They want a victim with easy-to-remove clothing, but apparently some of them carry scissors to cut it off. I don't know if a lot of you have ever attempted to cut your clothes. I can't think of reasons why. My mom is a seamstress, though, so I feel like I've cut a lot of fabric in my life. Um, It's not that easy. So I would assume that they're probably looking for like thinner clothes to cut. You know, like sports bras are probably relatively easy to cut off, you know, like bicycle type shorts, things like that. Because if you've ever tried to cut anything thick, it can really be hard. You really have to have some sharp scissors. Third on the list is distraction. They look for a woman on her phone or digging in her purse. This leaves you vulnerable 
and being easily overpowered due to the element of surprise. Number four on the list was time. Apparently, and this is shocking to me, rapists are most likely to strike in the morning between 5 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. I really thought that this was going to be like between midnight and like 5 a.m. or, you know, something, something along those lines. I mean, you would definitely think like the cover of darkness, but it's not. It's between 5 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. Number five on the list is the three most common places that rapists are looking for victims. The first most common place that rapists are looking to attack someone is grocery store parking lots. And I was actually telling this to Jeff and he was like, but you would think that there would be cameras, you know? And I was like, right. But, you know, like some of these cases had video footage and you still can't tell who the person is. And I think that they probably know that, right? Like CCTV footage is so grainy that if anyone's wearing a hoodie, are you really going to identify them? Thank God that camera quality has really changed. And as people upgrade and replace their cameras, we are not going to be dealing with that anymore. So rapists and murderers, beware. The second most common place that they're looking to strike is your office parking lot. And the third, a public restroom. The sixth on the list is accessibility. They're looking to grab a woman quickly and move her to another location. So it seems like they should be in a car or, I don't know, near their secret lair, you know, something like that. Number seven is like super important. Only 2% of the rapists said that they carried a weapon because rape alone carries a three to five year sentence, but rape while carrying a weapon is 15 to 20 years. And this is really important because if you're not really thinking about it, that could seem like a huge load of crap, right? Like rape should definitely carry a higher sentence than three to five years. But if that three to five year sentence versus 15 to 20 promotes rapists to not carry a weapon, that is very worth it because that gives women a better chance of survival. They can fight them off. These men don't have a weapon. I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think of it in that respect. And number eight of the article is literally what I just said. If you put up a fight and they don't have a weapon, they get discouraged quickly. They think it's going to take too long. They think it's not worth their effort. Maybe the blood goes from, I don't know, where it was previously to other parts of their body. Maybe it hits their brain and they flee. Number nine on the list is a great way to protect yourself. I mean, not really if you're running, but rapists avoid women with umbrellas and other long objects that they could be hit with. They say keys don't really deter them because you have to be close to your attacker to use them, which is really where they want you. And they're not really afraid of keys. I don't know. Carry a pole. Carry a club. Better yet, carry a gun and some pepper spray. They also list some things about defending yourself. If someone is following you or making you uncomfortable, look them in the face and make small talk. He'll know that you can identify him and it may deter him. Take a self-defense class. Assert yourself. Yell stop, get back, and be forceful. 
carry pepper spray, hold it out, and threaten him. Yell, I have pepper spray, and I'm going to spray you, and then spray him. If someone grabs you and you can't get free, pinch in a soft spot as hard as you can, like inner thigh, that area between the elbow and the armpit. I have a sister. My parents had two girls. And when I was little, my dad always told us, if somebody grabs you, you poke them as hard as you can in the eye. He always told us that your elbow is the strongest part of your body and hit them in the nose with it if you can. I've always thought back to that and thought poking them in the eye is great advice. I mean, anything that you can get near their eye, sticking your fingers near their eye, I think anyone in the world is deterred by that. Of course, go for the groin if you can. Kick them where it counts. Bend their fingers backwards as hard as you can if you can't get to anything else, especially their pinky finger. After I read this article, my opinion changed, and I felt that the motive behind the attacks wasn't just violence. I felt that generally it was rape, but when the women fought back, their attackers fled. I would like to call them lucky, but again, I can't say that because they were still attacked. They were just tough. But violence alone is also not unheard of as a motivation, and men are not exempt. On June 6, 2021, Andrew Rorell was jogging on his normal route on a Saturday morning when he was randomly shot in the leg and hip. He was able to flag down a female motorist, and she stopped to help Andrew. Another man who lived in a nearby home also came out and took off his own shirt and used it as a tourniquet. A few minutes later, other joggers in the area were shot at, but not hit. And a man taking out his garbage was intentionally hit by a car. They were able to apprehend 22-year-old Galen Newsom for these random acts of violence. And then there's a sad story from Georgia. A young man, he was only 25, on his normal daily run during daylight hours. It was about one in the afternoon. You know, he was just running along and he saw a house under new construction and he snuck in. And he's on video inside the house, just looking around a bit. The house was unlocked, so he didn't have to break anything to get into the home. He left peacefully and simply returned to his run. Well, someone saw him leave the home and, you know, that he was like running leaving the home. The man who saw him was Gregory Michaels and is a former police officer and former investigator. Gregory called his son and somehow a third man got involved in this as well. And Gregory felt that since the young runner appeared to look like someone who had been breaking into homes in the area, they would grab their guns and chase him down in their truck. They yelled for the runner to stop, which he did not. But would you? If a couple of men were following you with guns in their truck while you were out running and they were yelling for you to stop, would you stop? I wouldn't stop. I would flee for my life. What a terrifying experience. So when yelling at him did not work, Gregory took his truck and kind of positioned it in front of the runner. But there was also a car behind the runner. Woods on both sides. We know because this is on video as well. When Gregory 
was reaching the area where the truck was, they got out and approached him. And of course, a fight ensued. Because who is going to be followed by men with guns in multiple vehicles and when they jump out, not try to defend themselves? I mean, that is that is being attacked. You're being attacked, right? The runner is unarmed and during the struggle, trying to take the shotgun from his pursuer. They shot the runner and killed him. Now, McMichael had brought his son with him on this pursuit, and his claim seems to be that his son, Travis McMichael's life was being threatened, and so he felt he needed to use deadly force to kill the jogger. They filmed this, and I watched this video, and they are not near him. The runner is actually like... I mean, he's running toward the truck because they've placed the truck in front of him and he has nowhere else to go, but he is trying to get away from him. They are seeking out this jogger. The jogger gets close to their vehicle only because he has no other choice and they jump out with guns. And I mean, what else would you do? Literally, what else would you do? I mean, he's throwing punches. The jogger's throwing punches. But how else could he handle this situation? And I have to say that this is like an ongoing case. And so there could be new developments and whatnot. We don't know the outcome and everything like that because I don't want to get sued. But I just don't see any other way that the jogger could have handled this situation. But I feel like if you think that someone is breaking into a home, or even if someone is breaking into your home, if they're in the process from of running away, I don't think you have authority to shoot them anymore. Like you can't just like chase them down and murder them. You know, you have to like call police. I think that that's why we have police. And I don't think if you're like an ex-cop, you have like authority to go just, you know, chasing people down and killing them. And then we just be like, oh, that's okay. You're like an ex-cop. No, because I think that X in there really means something. Like, I'm a customs broker. I work for, I'm not actually like a licensed customs broker, but I work for a customs brokerage company. And, you know, like when I don't anymore, I can't just, you know, go, you know, interacting with U.S. Customs and, you know, clearing shipments on behalf of clients that belong to my current broker because, you know, I, I'm, I'm an ex-employee. I no longer do that job. Now, the runner did have a bit of history of suffering from mental illness, which I think actually running is good therapy for. And he was doing something like healthy for himself. Um, you know, and as far as like going into the abandoned house, I I just think of my best friend. She goes into all the houses. <laughs> like if somebody moves out of a house and she can sneak in there like without actually like breaking in just to see like the inside, like the layout, like she would never hurt anything. But she's totally going to do that. She's totally going to go into that house. So this runner was just taking his normal daily jog, went into an, a house that was under new construction, didn't hurt anything, ran away from the house, and they seeked him out and they killed him. And now they're claiming that their lives were threatened 
And so they had to do this. That sounds like total, utter bullcrap, right? I mean, it is total other bullcrap. But what I want to know is, would your opinion change if I told you that that runner was a 25-year-old black man? And I definitely don't want to start like a, a racist debate or anything like that. But I wanted to tell that story in a way that, unless you had already heard it, which it, it is highly publicized, so many people probably have, you wouldn't know it was a 25-year-old black man. Because I feel like when you say, oh, a 25-year-old black man was running down the street and ran into a abandoned house, or I'm sorry, a house under new construction, ran out and was running down the street and, you know, an ex-cop pursued him. I just feel like it sounds different, even though it shouldn't. I just think as a society, whether you're racist or not, we have been conditioned over the years to expect more stories like that, you know, about young black men, you know, and we, we're just conditioned to think of it a little bit different and we shouldn't. That's why I wanted to tell you that story without telling you that it was about 25-year-old Ahmed Aubrey. His mother is fighting for him to get justice. And I truly hope that she does. Even though I'm not a runner, I have an eerie story from my own life that I want to include. This was 20 years ago. I was so young. I had two very, very young children. I had them very close together. I was a single mom. I mean, I still am a single mom. But my children, my son and my daughter were probably, I would say, two and three, three and four at the most. We drove to a local park and like this is a really big park. This isn't like a park that you just like walk up to and there's like a play structure. This is almost like a state park. I mean, it's not as big as a state park, but like you can drive around the park and like park on the side of the road in different places. Like you would not walk around the entire park unless you were really like into fitness, right? And there's also like little like channels and creeks there because it's next to the Detroit River. One whole side of the park rests against the Detroit River. So I have two small children with me. So the first thing I do is I park on the side of the road near where we're going to be and I take them to the bathroom because, you know, mothers know that if you don't do that, you're going to have to leave where you are in like five minutes and take your children to the bathroom. So as we're walking up the sidewalk to go to the bathroom, there's plenty of people around. And one in particular is an older man, and he looks at me and he says, good morning. And so I say good morning back, and I take my children to the bathroom. We come out of the bathroom, and the man is still there, which is fine. And we walk down the sidewalk, and we turn to the left, and we walk down a ways, and there's like a wooded area. And we go back into the wooded area and follow the trail to the beautiful bridges that they have that go over this like little creek. We stand there for just a few minutes and we're just admiring the water, you know, looking at the ducks and whatnot. And we walk back through the woods and there's the man. 
And he looks directly at me for, I don't know, the third or fourth time now. And I'm starting to think this is really strange. There's a lot of people around. So I'm definitely, I'm not feeling secluded, but I'm feeling really weird. This is the first time I realized how vulnerable I was with these two small children. I mean, imagine picking up one small child and running away. I definitely could not hold two small children and run away. But luckily, we're near my car. But we're walking away from my car, and the man is walking directly behind me at this point. We had come out of the woods, and he was there, and we turned right and started walking toward like a play structure. And he's walking directly behind me. I mean, close to like it's eerie. So I, I have my children by the hands and I turn them around directly in the middle of the sidewalk. Like I did not go anywhere to turn around. I, I just turned them directly around and the man turned directly around behind me. So the only thing I can think that I need to do at this point is I need to throw these kids in the car. I'm not going to put them in their car seats. I'm not going to. I'm going to literally throw them in my car, hit lock, walk around, hit unlock, get in and hit lock again. He is still directly behind me. I can see my car. I don't think he knows which car is mine. So when I start to like get really close to my car, like I'm basically in line with my car. I cut to the right, go across the grass, open my door, throw my kids in. I go around, I get in my car. I have the doors locked and I'm about to start the engine, but the man did not follow me across the grass. He kept walking. So I watched him and he walked two cars past mine, got into, I'm not even joking, his white van. And this is the first time I've ever really thought strange things about a person in a white van because my dad was actually a painter and drove white vans all the time, him and his entire crew. So I never, I'm not one of those people that notice white vans and think like strange things about white vans. But the man got into his white van. I'm sitting there still with my doors locked, started his engine and drove past me. And I'm not even joking, waved. This was the incident that let me know how vulnerable I was. And after that, I did still go back to the park. We stayed really close to the car and I carried pepper spray. Don't forget to send me an email with any incidences that you have that fit into this category. And may all the women and men who perished in these awful ways rest in peace. If you see a runner in distress or somebody in distress like I was at the park, just call 911. I mean, I always hear of like stories of people who have disappeared and it's always where they go back and they have witnesses that report, oh, somebody was following her on her bike before she disappeared. Oh, somebody was, you know, following that runner in their truck and they didn't call 911. And I think a lot of times it's because people think it's like a domestic incident. They think it's their boyfriend following them or, you know, something like that. Just call 911. It doesn't matter if it's their boyfriend. It doesn't matter if it's their parent. All that matters is that you did your due diligence 
and telling police so that they can investigate it and stop a potential threatening incident. And stay safe. And remember, evil people are everywhere. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast five-star rating, sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.